happy because I'm struggling. I'm, I'm kind of envious. I tried to grow a beard once and it looked like a rabbit's rear end. It was not, <laughs> it's not good. can't believe I said that. But Hey, thank you to Pastor Tim for praying sensitively as we celebrate Mother's Day and as he thoughtfully said in his prayer, for some it's not the easiest of days as well. Uh, Pastor Tim mentioned his mum. Uh, I've shared with you before about my mum. She's battling the final stages of uh, Alzheimer's and uh, she's in residential specialist care back in the UK. I went to see her just a few weeks ago and she doesn't always know who I am. And this time uh, I, I said, do you know who I am? And she said, yeah, you're Audrey. Uh, Audrey is an 84-year-old, 82-year-old lady, friend of my mum's, and I've never been 84, and I've never been called Audrey. Um, but we went to see her over Christmas, and um, there was a lady there singing Mariah Carey's uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Not Mariah Carey, the residential care place is not that hot. And... Uh, and um, my mum was sitting there and Kay said to me, why don't you dance with your mum? And my mum said, no, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. And then she fell asleep and she's fast asleep. Then she woke up, grabbed my hand and she said, let's dance. So we did. Here's a little photo of uh, me and my mum. So she's not watching on the live feed, but happy Mother's Day, mum, from Audrey. Well, we're finalizing this series this weekend, Blessed to Bless. Matters of Life and Death is the title that we are giving to this. And I want us to dive in and have a look at Hebrews 11 and verse 17, a very positive description of Abraham. Let's have a look. Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Earlier this week, uh, as pastors here at Timberline, we gathered together for a time of prayer. And in preparation for that, Pastor Scott asked us to come ready to that time with our life verse, with a Bible verse that meant uh, a great deal to us, or a Bible story that, that meant a lot. And there were a variety of different responses as we gathered together. One person said that their life verse was Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. How many, how many know what Proverbs 3, 5 is? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you really wish you knew what Proverbs 3, 5 was? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. Beautiful verse. Somebody else said Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, I was really tempted to share one of my favorite Bible stories, which is Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus, the tax guy. Um, whenever I read the Zacchaeus story, you know what I think? I think Danny DeVito up a tree. Can you see that in your mind now? But every time you read that Bible story for the rest of your life, you're going to see Danny DeVito in a tree. But I ended up sharing my, my life verse, 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, which says, Cast all your cares upon him, 
for he cares for you. As we sat there in that room, shared our different verses, I knew for certain that no one was going to share Hebrews chapter 11 or any of the story about Abraham being told to kill his son. It is nobody's favorite story. And I want to go on record, and I hope you're not too offended by this, I'll explain myself, I really don't like the story. In fact, I would go so far as to say, I don't think we're supposed to like the story for a variety of reasons that I'll explain a little later. It's a a, a difficult story to understand. What we're going to do as we finish this series is over the next few minutes, we are going to look at a 75-year period of Abraham's life, a series of different episodes that took place, including his death and the death of his wife, I want to tell us that, suggest to us that there are principles in these episodes that are so vital that I'd like to call them matters of life and death. So if you're following in the bulletin, follow with me. First of all, we learn from this season in Abraham's life that failure is a learning opportunity, but when we live badly, we make God look bad. Failure is a learning opportunity, but when we live badly, we make God look bad. Here's what it says in Genesis 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. You know, as I read that, I can hear someone saying, hold on a minute, Pastor Jeff. Haven't we done that story? There's a bit of deja vu. Wasn't there a a time when Abraham said of Sarah, she's my sister, because he wanted to make sure that he wouldn't be killed because somebody else wanted her? Well, yeah, because it happened twice. It happens in Genesis chapter 12 with Pharaoh. And now it happens in Genesis 20 with Abimelech. What is going on here is that Abraham has failed to learn the lessons of his history. And he is now going around in circles repeating his mistakes. Last weekend, if you were here, I was was talking about addiction. About destructive behavior patterns. And this week, I've kind of been vexed, I want to tell you, I've been up in the middle of the night for the last couple of nights, agitated and concerned, and really feeling a sense of compulsion to revisit what we saw last week. And this text enables me to do that. I have an incredible sense that this weekend, and it's been happening, there are dozens, if not hundreds of people who have within them a desire to see a circular destructive pattern of behavior, addiction, attitude, broken. And with that in mind, something quite different is going to happen in the service. How many believe it's okay to do something different? Raise your hand. How many of you are feeling mildly terrified of the possibility? It's interesting that in this story, Abraham is redoing his mistake. And here is this man of Bimelech, this king, who's a pagan king, who doesn't know God. Let me show you this picture Pagan king doesn't know God. God speaks to him. Man of faith, Abraham, he speaks to himself and says, this is how I'm going to deal with this problem. This man, the man of faith, is talking to himself 
having an, an internal conversation, the pagan guy is hearing from God. You see, that, that's where things go wrong for me, is when I listen more to my own internal conversation and don't bother to consult with the Lord. And what happens is Abimelech's behavior shows Abraham up because he responds immediately, whereas Abraham is still doing the circular thing. Look at what it says in Genesis 20, God speaking to Abimelech. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, so I've kept you from sinning against me. That's why I did not let you touch her. The pagan guy is showing Abraham up. Let me ask you a difficult question. Have you ever met people who are not Christians, who are nicer than Christians? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. It happens, actually. Sometimes people who don't have any faith show us up. They embarrass us by the, the quality of their lifestyle. Uh, let, let's face it, kindness is not an exclusive franchise to the Christians. But here... Abraham going round in circles is kind of making God look bad as well as himself. But there's beautiful grace shown because over in the New Testament, despite all of these mistakes, what does it say of Abraham? It says he was the friend of God. In James, the book of James, we, uh, we read there, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. Later in this service... Later in this service, there's going to be an opportunity for us to respond to this. But I, I want to say this. Aren't you glad, I'm certainly glad, that the worst thing you've ever done is not how God defines you? Aren't you glad that the worst thought you've ever thought, and would you agree with me, in our thought life, we have a capacity to dive pretty deep. And I don't mean in substantial depth in terms of quality. I mean we can sink low. Wouldn't it be interesting if we all walked around with video monitors attached to the tops of our heads? So when you walked into Timberline this morning, we could see exactly what you're thinking. It'd be fascinating for a preacher like me standing on the platform. Maybe not. We are not defined by God by our worst thoughts or by our worst actions. But we do need to break destructive circles of behavior. Secondly, let's realize that faith is a walk and not a sprint. Faith is a walk and not a sprint. The writer of Genesis says Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Wanting us to know this thing, this promise of Isaac, it didn't happen quickly. Like every other grandparent you've probably ever met, we grandparents are just besotted and obsessed with our grandkids. Come see me afterwards. I've got my iPad. I've got seven million photographs I want to show you. Stanley, our oldest grandson, is six now. He's, he's away in medical school preparing <laughs> to be a doctor. Alex is three. He's just three, but he's fluent in Hebrew. Working already with children in Africa. Some of you are looking really impressed. You're going, whoa. I'm kidding, okay? I'm kidding. Well, I love my grandsons. We took them to Disney on Ice in London recently. Disney on Ice. And Alex's vocabulary is increasing massively. And he's learned a phrase that comes in particularly handy during long car journeys. Some of you have heard that phrase. (laughs) 
How come you people were in the car spying on me? Are we nearly there yet? Are we there yet? I'm like, yes, uh, we're going to be there soon, Alex. Don't worry. Granddad, are we there yet? Alex, listen to the slightly irritated woman in the GPS system. We're nearly there yet. And sometimes we want to say to God, are we there? When are we going to get there? When's, when's that promise going to be fulfilled? The, the problem we read in the Bible is that you turn over a page and you think it happened the next day. It didn't happen the next day. Abraham was 75 years old when God told him to go on that journey. He was 86 when Ishmael was born as a result of a disastrous little plan. He was 100 years old when Isaac was finally born. There's a 25-year gap between the promise and even the beginnings of the fulfillment of the promise. There was a 16-year period of domestic misery that came as a result of Ishmael being born. In other words, faith is often not you and me bouncing from one magnificent revelation to yet another answer to prayer. Sometimes it's a long uphill trek. I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. Thank you to those of you who take that trek and are faithful. The third thing is that sometimes we need to let go of our dreams and obey God in the times of testing. Sometimes we need to let go of our dreams and obey God in the times of testing. For Abraham, that happened in a couple of ways. Let's look at this. First of all, Genesis 21. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Let me explain. No child had arrived for Sarah. So she came up with a rather naughty little plan. She said, why don't you have a relationship with your slave girl, Hagar, and we'll have a child like that. Kind of surrogate thing, substitute thing going on here. And Ishmael was born, but that created incredible tension in the family. It also meant that Ishmael was first in line for inheritance And God's plan was always that it would be Isaac. Now, again, I don't like the story. It seems rather harsh. But God says to Abraham, because his wife says, get rid of those two, send them away. And God says to Abraham, he comforts him, and he says, effectively, don't worry, I'm going to take care of them. Listen to your wife. It's going to be okay. But Abraham had to give up the small, the lesser dream of Ishmael being his heir so that he could lay hold of God's bigger dream which was Isaac. Difficult story but it is what is going on. Sometimes we need to give up our dreams. We need to know anyway that God is not just a genie in a bottle just existing in the universe to fulfill our dreams. That's not who God is. God God is the God who wants to dream his kingdom dream through us. That's different. But sometimes we have to give up small dreams. Um, And I'm glad, for example, in my life, I've done some of that. I always wanted to be a medical doctor. Okay? But I was terrible at science. And I'm so grateful that that didn't happen. And you should be grateful too. Because if Dr. Lucas had happened, the death rate would have gone up exponentially. Although it does have a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Paging Dr. Lucas. Yeah, had to give up the dream. 
I always wanted to be a worship leader. I played guitar, I played the drums, I led worship for conferences. But I started to realize that when I sang, people's ears would bleed. So I had to give up that dream. Now those are trivial examples, I know, but sometimes we have to do that. And then there's a bigger test for Abraham. This is really difficult because Genesis 22, look at what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son. Please look at these words carefully. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. I I really don't like that. Nor do you, do you? This is a bizarre test that is taking place. Now, if we don't like this, we shouldn't like it. And let me explain why. It is abundantly clear from the rest of the Bible that God hated and indeed judged people for child sacrifice. He despised it. And so when you compare scripture with scripture, it is abundantly obvious that God did not want Abraham to sacrifice Isaac at all. That's one of the reasons why we need to take the Bible seriously. Sometimes I meet people, they say, I I just believe the Bible. The only thing with that is if you're a bit disturbed and you throw open your Bible and you say, well, I'm going to just do whatever God tells me to do today. Go kill your son. I'm serious, it could have disastrous consequences. That's why we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. And when we look at the broad picture of Scripture, it's very clear that God hated uh, the sacrifice of children. So, So what's going on? Well, yes, it is a test. It is a test. And there are some tests of faith in life. Not everything is a test. I mean, I drove home last night from here in a blizzard in May. That's weird. That should be illegal, ladies and gentlemen. And I could hardly see out of the windshield or windscreen, whatever, the glass at the front. And was it a test from the Lord? No, it was just snowing. Let's not try and sacramentalize everything in life to mean something. I ran out of gas this week. What is the Lord trying to teach me? He would say unto thee, Fillest thine tank, O foolish person. Not everything is a test, but there are junction moments in our lives when there is a sense of testing. But what is God going on or doing here with this uh, sacrifice thing? I think that God is showing Abraham what God doesn't want. Abraham came from Ur of the Chaldees, where we know from historians they practiced child sacrifice. He was going to Canaan, where we know from Scripture, they practiced child sacrifice. Abraham came from that culture, was going to that culture. So what does God do? Does God just say, no, 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 don't do that? No. God enables Abraham, commands Abraham to go on a very emotional journey to feel what a good parent should feel. The agony of what this would demand of you to make really clear that this was not what God wanted. It was a significant learning drama. It was also a test of faith. That was the primary thing. But God was taking Abraham through, yes, a time of testing, but a time of learning. 
Then fourthly, really importantly, God is to be trusted and not appeased. God is to be trusted and not appeased. Look at this. This is the Isaac moment. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The old religion, the religion of Chaldees, was appease the gods. They're mad. They're angry. So you've got to buy them off. But now God was letting Abraham know, I want you to believe in me, not try and appease me. There's a radical difference. This week in my study, preparing for this weekend's message, I decided to just get on to Google and Google this story. And there are thousands of articles about this story. But the first one that popped up remarkably was from a Bible teacher and thinker, theologian, that I know well. And so do you. Because his name is Pastor Brent Cunningham. He's part of our team here. It shocked me that the first article that came up, and I read what Pastor Brent said, and I thought, I just can't put it any better than the way that he says this. Have a look at this. Brent said, God sets Abraham up to think that this was another appeasement religion in which devotees placate their gods every whim. Yet, shockingly, like a playwright walking on stage in the middle of a performance, God calls, cut. And so we see that this new religion is not going to be like the standard appeasement approach, but about relationship, about trust, about love. God was not simply reaffirming a well-known model of appeasing the gods. Rather, he was establishing a rival model, one of faith. And more powerfully than he could ever have with a mere moral proposition like, you shall not engage in human sacrifice, God established a clear path for how people were to relate to him. In other words, God doesn't want us to try and pay him off. He wants us to accept his grace. Do you remember I asked you to notice the language, take your son, your one and only son. The writers of the New Testament directly quote that phraseology in pointing to Jesus. The wonderful truth is that in a way that I and you cannot fully understand, Jesus has paid the price for our sins. What that means is that we don't any longer have to drag our shame around. A few weeks ago, I staggered through Heathrow Airport in London with three heavy bags. It was agonizing, and I pulled up to the, came up to the check-in, and the lady said, uh, Mr. Lucas, uh, this bag has one pound over the limit. And I'm like, one pound, one pound. So I relocate the one pound, check in my bags, they roll off onto the conveyor, and gloriously, nine hours later, in DIA, they roll out to me yet again. And I have a reconciliation moment with my bags, like the returning prodigal to his father. <laughs> Here's what we do with our shame. We check it in. Here it is, God. I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. And then a minute, an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year later... We go to baggage claim. We take it back. 
Some of us have temporarily suspended our shame baggage for a while while we've been here today. But we're going to pick it up before we leave here if we're not careful. And here in this story, God showed Abraham, I don't want you to try and appease me. I want you to just trust me and accept Except that you can walk with me by faith. And now as people of the cross, now we can see that the price has been fully paid. Check in with your shame. Check in your shame. And please, don't pick it up. The final thing, the fifth thing, is that tearful seasons come to us all, but in the end we'll have the last laugh. Tearful seasons come to us all, but in the end we'll have the last laugh. Look at what it says about Sarah's death. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Here is the news, ladies and gentlemen. If you've got a pulse, you're going to cry. If you're going to live on this earth, if you're going to love, there will be grieving time. There will be sadness When Sarah died, she and Abraham had been married over a hundred years. And they'd been on this journey. They'd been on this journey from Ur for 62 years together. So they had been through all of these incredible episodes. Seven times it talks about Abraham burying her. And it says he cried out loud. I've seen Christians tell Christians who are mourning someone, who who they've lost someone. They're sad, they're grieving. I've I've heard it said, no, no, you you don't have to cry because they're with Jesus. What do you mean I don't have to cry because they're with Jesus? That's why I'm crying. I don't want them to be with Jesus right now. I want them to be right here with me. Grief and sadness is normal. But the Bible makes it clear that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And we see that in this story. Look at the death of Abraham, Genesis 25. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. A Hebraic term that basically says it's not just that he's dead, but he becomes part of that great community experiencing life beyond life if you will. Abraham has the last laugh. And so does Sarah. As we end this series, I want to just zoom in for a moment on that lovely occasion in Genesis 21 when she laughs. A laugh of faith and appreciation and gratitude. Look at what it says. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Abraham and Sarah, yeah, there were times of pain, but they had the last laugh. When I think about that, I think about Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson was a a lady in the congregation that I pastored as a young church planting minister. I can see her now, a beautiful West Indian lady with a a gorgeous Caribbean accent. Uh, she was dying of cancer. Her husband long had left long before. And she had two teenage daughters. And I used to go visit Mrs. Robinson, and she was a lady of beautiful faith. She'd say, oh, Pastor Jeff, 
I, I, I'm not worried about dying. I, I'm going to be with Jesus. But she said, I'm really worried about my girls. What's going to happen to my girls? And I, I would say, don't worry, Mrs. Robinson. God will sort it all out. It's going to be okay. And she'd nod and smile. The next week I'd go see her and we'd have the same conversation. I'm worried about my girls. And I would give her my life first. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him. He cares for you. He cares for them. He'll take care of it. One day I came out of her house and God spoke to me. doesn't happen a lot. But God really spoke to me and asked me a question. And God said to me, how am I going to take care of it then? And I'm like, I haven't got a clue. That's not my job. That's your job. It's your role. You being God. How am I going to take care of it? And I felt in that moment that God perhaps was asking me and Kay to tell Mrs. Robinson that we would foster her children if she died. So I thought, I know what I'm going to do because this is crazy. I'm going to go home to Kay and I'm going to, I'm going to put out this ridiculous fleece. I haven't got time to explain that and I don't recommend this. But I, I, I said to God, I'm going to go home and I'm going to walk into the house and I'm going to just say to Kay, let's foster Hazel and Denise. And, and if this is right, God, she will simply say, sounds like a good idea to me. I'm thinking, pigs are going to be airborne before that happens. So I walk back into the house and Kay is ironing. Kay is ironing. I walked in. I said, honey, I think we should foster Hazel and Denise. And she said, sounds like a good idea to me. And I'm like, rats. And of course, it wasn't a spare-on-the-moment decision. We took advice and counsel. We went through the interviews with, with social services and children's services. And uh, we, we made this decision that this was going to happen. One day, Mrs. Robinson called Hazel and Denise into her bedroom. She knew it was time. She sat up in bed, punched the pillow to make herself comfortable. And she said... Girls, I'm going home to be with Jesus now and you're going to be with Jeff and Kay. She then laughed out loud and died. We got the phone call to say, you've got, you've got two teenage kids. And Mrs. Robinson had the last laugh. And by the way, so are we, because in a few months from now, Hazel, the youngest of the two, who's now in her 40s, has been single all her life. She's getting married, just her two weeks ago. We're, we're going to have some laughter. And ultimately, finally, whatever the circumstances, if you're in Christ, so will you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because even the difficult stories in your word can offer us vital lessons that we need to learn.
Be with us by your spirit, we pray. We pray for those who perhaps need to let go of a dream. Show them where that is true. We pray for those who live in the gap between promise and fulfillment and need to hold on to a dream. We pray for those of us for whom the journey is a trek. It's hard. It's uphill. It's windy. And it's snowing for them. Strengthen your people. And we pray for those of us, Lord, who we're really good at bringing our baggage of shame to you. But then we we pick it up again. We pray that you will enable us to not live by the logic that says we have to pay, we have to appease. But help us to live by the truth of your forgiveness and grace. Stay with us, Lord, as we continue in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said. Now I mentioned.